Ah, Sunday. Welcome back to another episode of Leading from the Forest. I hope you're having a super chill weekend. Today, I was lucky enough to get one of my eco-ed forest school tribe on the show, which led to an awesome chat. Well, the content was, but there were some malfunctions with the audio at certain points during our conversation. The mysteries of technology, eh? Now, I've gone in and edited certain sections to make it flow a little bit more cohesively so that you're able to follow our conversation that a little bit easier. But a huge apology for the interference that may spoil some of your listening pleasure. If you're new to the show, a very warm welcome to you. Please don't judge me on the audio of this episode alone. I would, if I were you, check out other episodes just to know it's not just me. <laughs> That's housekeeping done. Let's go. Welcome to Leading from the Forest podcast, where I delve into the world of forest school with the intention of decoding it for parents and those new to the movement. Over the last year, I have brought together a powerful community of parents that have embraced the transformational process of forest school to set their child up for life success as I go about my mission to reconnect 10,000 families with nature the forest school way. I'm your host, Mark, the founder of EcoEd Forest School, and listen in as I break down what it's actually all about and how it can work for your child too. I'm ready to create real change. Are you? Alrighty, in this episode, I am very excited to be speaking with Jane, who I've mentioned is one of my EcoEd Forest School tribe. It was a pleasure having her on the show to speak about her incredible project that her family and her have underway at the moment, their move into homeschooling, and the appeal of Forest School to their parenting style. Now, during the conversation, we also touched on adoption and her experiences with adopting Dave and Tilly a few years ago alongside her maternal children, Thomas and Alice. A time point to reference from our conversation that became distorted due to interference was around about nine minutes in when Jane is speaking about her family's project where they are converting a Vico Daily, which is a type of, I believe, like an old ambulance type van into a fully functioning camper van in which one day, post-Brexit and COVID-19, they're hoping to travel around Europe in, which I think will be super amazing. Um, and I think that's about it. Okay. Over to our conversation. Hey Jane, thank you so much for joining me today. It's lovely to have you along to speak about an incredible project you have underway right now. Um, homeschooling, adoption and your journey to forest school, which we'll all get to shortly. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, so first out then, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I am Jane, I am 48, I'm married to Mark. We have four children, the eldest being 24 and the youngest being six. I am a hairdresser by trade, um, which I started at 14. I have owned two hair salons. I then retrained later in life to become a trainer and a quality assurer for a large training company. And at 40, I decided to go and do a degree in education um, to convert to primary. Um, and doing the degree at the same time, I was completely put off primary school education. Um, and that's about where I'm at at the minute. That is quite interesting that I can see so many similarities between your journey to education with myself of that being put off by it. it yeah, I think uh, because I did a degree in education mm. and had to study other pedagogical systems from around uh, Europe, particularly. Mm. Um, and then I, I, I obviously compare, was comparing those to our system mm. that's what put me off 
Ah, that's um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, and bear in mind, my older two went through the full education system. They've been there from mm. nursery all the way up to um, master's level. They've both done master's. Mm. But I also think in the 20 years since Alice started primary school, um, that things have changed an awful lot. Mm. Um, the question then is, in your opinion, for, for the better or for the worse? Uh, for the worse. I think, it, I think it's everything, not just um, school, society. Mm. Um, everything combined has has changed quite a lot i think there's a lot more impetus on assessment and ticking boxes yes and seeing children more as cogs in a machine yes um, and meeting a, targets a, absolutely not teaching mm. um you know not not letting teachers teach i don't think it's mm. it's all the teachers fault you know they've they're restricted in what they can do and i think that isn't helpful Either, they've, so. they've become more like businesses as opposed to yeah. hubs of education and i think the the production of the role of school business manager <laughs> kind of gives it away a little bit really you know why, why would that need, be a necessary role within education uh if it wasn't all about money targets and political gain i suppose in, in the long run yeah yeah and you know i don't know whether heads are always prepared to run businesses mm. i don't know it's it's very difficult uh, running well, a business in, in general is very difficult and you know there yeah. are certain set of skills that you've got to have and it's re- and it's really hard really difficult for sure uh, you know thinking about back to my experience being a teacher and then moving into uh setting up a forest school that was phenomenally difficult as you say because of the skill set was completely different you know being a humble teacher uh and then moving out to having to to learn really quickly a lot of skills that didn't come naturally to me and to to even sort of operate the business it was it was extremely difficult but it's been a fantastic learning curve and a fantastic opportunity and you know that never say die attitude in me I think has has seen me through to this point but uh yeah yeah absolutely absolutely I I wouldn't go back but (laughs) (laughs) So I think we uh, we sort of tease it at the beginning to everyone, um, but I know you have an incredible project on the go right now. So first of all, can you give us a little bit of a, a grounding in what the project is that you've you, that's underway, um, and then how you and your family found your way into such an awesome project that you're doing? So we are um, converting an EV a, v, a Vico daily uh, van. Uh, my husband uh, read an article and it was about two teachers who had given up teaching and given up all their life and went traveling with their two children in a van around Europe and this was because they said they were working all day to pay to pay for childcare. They were working all day to pay for the car that they drove to work in and they were working all day to pay for the house that they weren't in all day. And it's quite true, really. We, you know, when you're at work and you're out at work all day and you're paying, you know, a lot of money for cars and houses and, and you're never in them. <laughs> so you're not spending the time with your children when they're growing up. And Absolutely. Mark's really, really, really trying to focus on spending as much time with of the youngest two who we adopted a few years ago um and you know it, it's that's where we're at really so we've been trying to do the van up 
Mm. Uh, original thing was to actually sell the house and go travel around Europe for three years. But with Brexit and the uh, coronavirus, <laughs> that might have put a little bit of a, you know, a cork <laughs> in that for now. Um, but we'll see. But the van's not quite ready yet. But when it is, we're hoping to make good use of it. Definitely. That sounds a fantastic project. Yes. And that, that was such an interesting comment that you make there that, you know, we, we are floating things such as houses, cars, that we yeah. barely use and we pay a vast sum of money for them. We do. And until someone points it out, you know, you kind of sit there and go, oh my gosh, yeah. The article um, was really interesting. Yeah. And, and I've read quite a lot of similar articles um, since. And then we started looking at um, YouTube, Van Life. It's massive. Um, so yeah, we watch a lot of YouTube van lifers yeah. and where they're up to and what they're doing and all sorts of people it's almost like a mini community isn't it it's a it bit is. like they, um, they have got their their own community but yeah. unfortunately we don't really cater for it in this country europe are quite big quite big with van life mm. and you know places you can park for free mm. um they have a lot of uh, park for the nights that you can park for free there's a lot of um water um places you can get free water from um, when you're out and about, but we don't have those quite the same facilities in the UK. It's a little bit like the bushcraft community in the UK, right. thinking, thinking back to what you were saying there, that it's not very massive, but there's a small holding, but mainly it's America that, that has these different yes. sort of passions, I suppose, because I suppose it's so vast and there's that many people. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was speaking to a lady today about sort of forest school and things like that. And she was mentioning how, you know, when she was a young girl, like they, they saw almost parents would ship them off to camps, wilderness camps sort of thing and send them out. And it was a bit like scouts, but, but like hardcore scouts, like Bear Grylls scouts. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've always wanted to do a camp America. Yeah, and and that's, this is it. And I, you know, I drew connection with America, you know, how it's odd that as, as a nation, we are not very outdoors orientated as a culture and as a nation, I no. think. And despite, you know, our position in the heart of Europe, to, sort of to the north of us, they're all outdoors, to the south of us, well, except France and sort of Spain, but over sort of, sort of Eastern Europe, they're all yeah. outdoors orientated, you know, particularly in Germany. And you think, mm. well, where did we go wrong? I know the weather's not ideal, but come on, that can't stop everything. You know, it rains here more often than not. So, <laughs> Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, we, we have to laugh on that note when we go to places like, we go to Cambridge Folk Festival and mm. other festivals and everyone starts running when it starts raining. We go, we're from yeah. Manchester. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's rain. This is it, isn't it? No, that's it. it. Yeah, I remember, I remember quite fondly, I suppose, well, it wasn't at the time, but now I remember back fondly to sort of the end of last year when uh, there was a, a solid period of about four months that it just did not stop raining. Every time I went out into the forest, it was absolutely chucking it down. And it, it was almost like biblical. It was like 40 days and 40 nights. You know, it literally was that. It was in March by the end, to tell you what. But yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, so my next question then was, was um, this project that you're doing now with regards yep. to the van and coupled presumably with the pressures of lockdown, what inspired you to begin homeschooling? And obviously wanting to spend more time with your children and be, be a key figure in their life. Or was it a decision that you made sort of well before all this happened? Yes, it was a decision we've been researching for probably two years now. Um, because...
we were finding that they were not settled at school. Um, Dave would come home from school and he would have two hour meltdowns mm -hmm. from the moment he left the school door. And at first we thought, you know, we put it to the fact that it's new and he's trying to get used to it. But these continued to the point where I was no longer able to walk to school because he didn't want to go that much. And then he'd go to school eventually when I got him there. And when I picked him up, he would then have a two hour meltdown when he came home and he couldn't, we couldn't even have a conversation with him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even be able to talk to us about what had happened, mm. um, what he did, uh, what he'd eaten. He just didn't know. And then randomly, like two weeks later, he just suddenly about something happened two weeks before. And we were sort of, you know, and we, what do we do here? So we started looking at homeschooling. Mm. Uh, we attended a homeschooling festival called HEF, um, which we loved. It was really chilled. And we noticed that a lot of the children were very well-rounded. Mm. Um, they were, they, they all into, they all integrated, you know, older children, younger children, and they all looked after each other. And that was sort of appealing to us as our family and how mm. evolving as our family. Um, we took the plunge at lockdown, um, even though it's something we'd prepared for 18 months in advance. Mm. I, the, the main reason why we didn't do it before was probably because of our lifestyle at the time. Um, work for me, work for Mark, how it would fit in. And because of lockdown, mm. that's enabled us to do it Absolutely. Um, and then continue. Our life now evolves around how lockdown has made our life. So it's just worked for us as a family and I'm, I really now wish I'd done it a lot taken that that leap what I hear you say something something's almost just clicked or lockdown was that that light switch that just flicked on your it, dream it and your direction yeah. that you wanted to take and it just made it happen it that much faster and I think now the new normal obviously sits really really well with how you how you want to go forward with their education yes. lockdown has been really positive for us mm. as a family um it has changed our lifestyle massively mm. um and we're we're quite thankful for that really so we as we likened it this we were having van life in our own house <laughs> that's what we kept so this is like van life in our own house <laughs> i can imagine yeah exactly you're just you know on four wheels and you can't travel but it's all good yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but I was, um, originally, I think I was worried about maybe my mental health as well, having the children at home all the time and having no space from each other for them and for me. Um, and I think at the beginning of lockdown, when we couldn't go out, you know, children need to go out. They do need to go out. So even though you, we are doing homeschooling, probably, um, interact with other children, um, Tilly has dance classes where she goes every Saturday morning we're mm. members of a gym and they can go to the gym every night for two hours um, oh, okay. so they interact they can interact with we've not gone back there yet but they can interact with other children every night for two hours every weekend for two hours on a Saturday two hours on a Sunday so they get plenty of interaction with other children we also have a huge family of children so that really helps um, but I did notice in lockdown that they were missing that interaction with other children. Mm. So I do think that is important. Mm. Uh, but that's one of the main questions I get asked when I when I was researching homeschooling. How will they socialise? And I actually think their social 
with the children that they are interacting with and how they're interacting with children than they were at school. Mm, mm. I think they have more positive interaction. And I think some of schools ended up negative interaction because at one point we had um, an incident where David had a pencil pushed down his ear and the pencil had snapped off inside his ear, but we didn't actually know about this because he was unable to tell us. And it wasn't until he had a routine hearing test that the hearing person, the uh, audiologist found the pencil down his ear and then he was able to tell us what had happened. But this, I have no idea how long that had been down his ear, but he did tell us what had happened then, but he didn't, he wasn't able to tell us at the time because he can't relate. This is it. He he wasn't, he didn't feel able to open up at that point about. I haven't had any of that since he's not been at school so i mean you know if he's been in the forest and he's had mm. something's gone on in the forest he's able to talk to me but mm. only six months ago he couldn't do that it's crazy I isn't it? yeah i don't know yeah. it is. coming back to what you were saying there about socialization and sort of home educated children uh what took me by surprise because that quite naively before i moved into sort of forest school full-time was um how big the homeschool community is and how close they are as a community it really yes. is fascinating and it's it's incredible now to be part of and see um children have those meetups with other children from from a larger yeah. group and you know there is i don't think i hold the same as you i don't think there should be any worries about anybody who who might be moving into homeschooling about the socialization of their child because there's so many opportunities for that to happen Yes, there is. And that was one of the things that I did um, when people were asking me that all the time. I thought I'm going to have to research this. So I joined a lot of homeschooling groups oh yeah. on, on Facebook yeah. and um, researched what they were offering. So there's chess mm. clubs, there are walking groups, there are something every day of the week, baking groups. You could do mm. something every single day if you wanted to with many different people. So I researched that first so I could answer that question when I was being asked it. Absolutely. It is, it is a massive, massive community and growing, especially yeah. with lockdown. Absolutely. I think that's something we're going to come on to in a little bit, but it was quite surprising there, like almost the homeschooling community obviously saw that problem, but potentially when it sort of, it first became a wider community and they thought, you know what, let's improvise, let's adapt and let's overcome this issue. And, yeah. and it has most certainly with all these different clubs and the opportunities for every, every child that is a homeschool child has now in that community is fantastic. I think one of the, sorry, one of the really interesting things was there was a lot of um, adopted children that, that were at Mm. the homeschooling festival that we went to. So it seems that possibly, um, we struggle in education to to cater for children who have been adopted mm. um and i think that's quite sad there seems to be a provision for lack those mm. who you know a huge provision for lack and as soon as they become adopted it falls off and i think that's quite sad really just let anybody know who's, who's listening lack stands for looked after children um and there yeah as you say there is a difference but it it is it's very sad how they almost some children get forgotten yes by the, by the system, by the system. And, and you know as you said right at the start it's not the teacher's fault it's no. not sort of the head teacher's fault it, it's the no. system and i think the, because the system is broken 
there yeah. needs to be an overhaul or something needs to happen to to bring it back on track because it's it's not fit for purpose let's be truthful no i mean i know in 2014 there was an article uh or uh and something brought out by the government that said that all schools had to be um attachment to wear schools by a certain date but that still doesn't seem to be fed into the system or teachers don't particularly understand attachment to the greater you know i mean to, to sort of to fully understand children i think you need longer than four years and you know to try and and even uh, I suppose, you know, I can't say much because I went through this course, but even even worse, I suppose, is the PGCE, which is a year's teaching. You know, you get your degree before that of potentially three, four years, and then you go into PGCE. And to, to learn all what you need to know for a teaching role within a year and at minimum, a maximum four, it's not enough. And I think there's so much and there's such an in-depth subject that we're, you basically setting the foundations and that's it you're not building upon those and it's, it's almost taken a very keen interest for myself and a, and a want to develop myself in my chosen field which was education to to push myself past that basic or that foundation baseline that you get from these courses and from the university study and it is quite interesting that you mentioned it and you pick up on it yes yeah mm. So you mentioned in your blog that yeah. to support your children's home learning, you're looking towards a more holistic based approach, sort of, as we've just mentioned, you know, taking away from that curriculum sort of idea. Um, so in your family, why do you see this as the most appropriate path for Dave and Tilly's development? Um, mainly to do with um, their background uh, previously and how... Um, when they first came to us we had to take them right back so we took them through regression um almost there were three and four when they came to us and um tilly didn't speak at nearly three um so we we took them right back to sort of um, baby stage mm. and it's about redeveloping the brain mm. so um and to do that you've sort of got to break your you know you've got to break your synapses and mend them back together again and and we just feel that the most important thing for those at the moment them to at the moment is social and emotional development mm. and you know i find that in the forest setting that they are getting that um and you know at home yes i'm teaching them the reading every morning they're doing maths they're doing writing but if they need to go outside and play mm. they just go out outside and play and then we yeah. can come back to it they can't do that in the classroom no of but course their mental health and i think this is it's not just though their mental health but the mental health of a lot of children i think it, mental health is something that really needs um nurturing in our children at the minute Definitely. And i'm finding if if they don't if their mental well-being and their social emotional well-being is not nurtured they won't be able to learn so no. for us that is the most important thing. I think Dave, especially, was in fight and flight mm. constantly. He must have been in it constantly. And although he was learning, mm. he wasn't retaining. And in, yeah. it, there's a difference between learning and retaining. And oh, also, sure. he's hypervigilant and mm. he was getting by by copying others. Mimicry. 
Brill- Mim- mimicking, a, copying. It's a, it's a fantastic defensive tool almost, isn't it? Yeah, wonderful tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but in the wrong environment, it, it can be very uh, disruptive for that person's development, isn't it? Yes. And although they were being met at home, because that wasn't in conjunction with what was happening in school. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that was school's fault. You know, they've got 30 children in that class and it's very difficult to give. And they do need an awful lot. They have a, they are quite, um, I mean, you, you obviously know what they're like because you're with them quite a bit over the summer. But they do need quite a lot of guidance, would mm. be the word probably, mm. and em- emotional guidance and um regulation Mm. so you know and i i can see when tilly is not regulated she goes up and up and up and up and if that's in a classroom and she's been told to sit down and to do this and to do that that's going to be very hard to contain within the child whether she's in the forest Mm. she can run around and burn it off and Mm. you know and at home when we're doing work and I can see that they're coming to the end of the tether I go get your shoes on out you go and they can go out and they can run it off and burn it off but I can do that on as an as a need you know when they when they need it I'll meet it when they need that I'll meet it and that can't happen to that degree in a school setting it's almost like a blanket cover isn't it yeah. And, it, and it's yet more evidence to to say that when b- basic needs are met, learning can then happen. And it is almost yet more evidence, as we just said, for Maslow's hierarchy of needs um, in that at the base is the basic needs. So breathing, food, comfort, warmth, the next is security and so on. And it goes up and until they reach the top, which is that kind of developmental phase, that self-actualization where, where a child or a person can reach that next step in their development journey. Yep. And that's, that's really, that's, it's just highlighted that it just the per, paints the perfect picture of how important that is with regards to Dave and Tilly and how and you're I, able to offer them the, their need or able to secure their needs and so that yeah. they can progress and develop on. Yeah. And I think Forest School is um, supporting that because the other thing that we do as parents is therapeutic parenting. I'm not saying we do it all the time. We're not perfect. <laughs> But um, we try and we do a lot of emotion coaching, Mm. you know, getting them to identify with their emotions and and how they're actually feeling. And then we also get them to do what, you know, the choice that they made. Was it the right choice? Was it the wrong choice? Was there Mm. a better choice? And trying to take responsibility for their own actions and pointing that out to them. And I think in forest school, they have to take responsibility for their own actions with, you know, the safety of the equipment they're using, yeah, yeah. whether they use it right or wrongly, like Dave did in his first, <laughs> he learned a lesson. <laughs> yeah. but, we, but that was a lesson learned. And it's, it's all about natural consequences and, you know, trying to get them to, well, I did this. That was the consequence of doing that. Mm. And maybe hopefully I won't do it again. So, yes. But it's, I love how you take that mixture of different sort of theories and, and knowledge and you bring it all together. And that's almost the, what holistic development is about, that development of that whole child. And, yeah. you know, you spot something that you like and you bring it in and, and you can see how it, it has an impact on that child then. And yeah. it's not and just focusing on one key area. It, it's the whole being. Yes. Yeah. And although we, we, and we have very clear boundaries as well, mm. you know, we, we are, I probably am, my older two children say I'm stricter with the younger two, but I think my boundaries are a lot, a lot clearer. Um, And that's me learning as a parent, you know, Mm. 
these things I did that I think mm, I should, maybe I shouldn't have done that and we were very lucky I think as adoptive parents you have three years of training near enough or we did mm. have nearly three years of training um classes all about we did all about all sorts of things um which again we I didn't have that when I had Alice and Thomas mm. you know as yeah. a as a, a birth parent mm. and I think we were very lucky and I think every parent should get access to those skills because they are useful for, for your birth children, your adopted children, your foster children. It's the same fit principle, but actually sitting there and, and learning about that was really helpful for both me and Mark. As, as a wise person once said, that there's no guidebook that come with, comes with children. And, not, no. and ultimately things like that classes like that would be so beneficial as you say because it kind of sets you up with the the building blocks almost to for life for their life almost isn't it you know and yeah. the more knowledge that you can have and you can give and more value that you can give to their lives it can only set them up for for a successful future or for something that is more beneficial than yeah. perhaps if you don't have those skills i suppose yes yeah. Not to say that you know parents don't do a, a sterling job and a marvelous job, but no. I think no. there are times when a little bit of outside assistance is is warranted in some respects, just to kind of set you right, isn't it? Especially for potentially new mums, um, because it can be a, such a shock to the system. It is, and we especially like for me and Mark with with the um, with regards to adoption, we have been a bit like you, and we have mm. gone out there and we've learned as much as we can because we want to give them the best yeah. um start or um you know that that we can we need to offer them everything we can now mm. you know it's no no use getting to 10 years time and thinking well i wish i'd have done that yeah. or i wish i'd have done this with we, we're trying to put everything in now um hopefully it will work or help well this is it only only time will tell it's one of those fantastic <laughs> investments isn't it investments of time and only only time will tell and it's yeah it sometimes it just needs that that moment to work doesn't it i suppose because i think uh, as a society we are a little bit a little bit too quick in some things and yes. we, we we tend to to you know because i think everything these days is instant 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 gratification there is a, you know you literally you can sort of order a meal within sort of 10 minutes you can sort of buy something online it's at your door next day you know and as somebody uh, somebody once said i think it was simon Sinek said there's two things in life that you can't hack which are relationships and job success and those two things you need to build on and yeah. and really kind of work on them to be successful at them and it, and it really is that and it comes back to our human nature i suppose isn't it that we are social creatures and time is is finite yes but ultimately it's sometimes investing in that is is there's the goal at the end of the road which is far bigger than that moment in time it is it's funny you should mention instant gratification because one of the attachment therapy um uh strategies is mm. delayed gratification mm. so at the end of a session uh we will be given a packet of biscuits and instead of giving to the child the full packet of biscuits you will get them to nibble and do mm. games around so they're not actually having the whole lot straight <laughs> away um and it's about delaying that gratification yeah. to make them wait for something mm. um because as you say life is very instant now it's instant you know if you want to find out a piece of knowledge you get your phone it's instant everything's very instant 
Mm. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. And it's, obviously, there's there is so much learning potential within wait, a period of waiting, yes. or even indeed like today, I was listening to another podcast, and uh, there's a lot of benefits to children uh, within boredom. And that ability then to stimulate creativity and imagination and things like that um, outside of an external stimulus, i.e. a parent or uh, a a TV or an iPad or something like that. And they have to go within themselves to then bring out new sets of skills and things like that. And often we feel perhaps that we need to be constantly showing them that we've got something for them to do or constantly gratifying them but actually that's one thing i've noticed uh tilly's um imagination has always been quite good mm. but since going into the forest dave's imagination has really come on as well probably um again copying other children thinking about things um and both of them have have developed with their imaginations and what you know the games that they're playing in the forest mm. and you know unicorn games or um uh, making up many different rules of their own which and is it, yeah that yeah. the adult never wins but yes no, well this is it <laughs> part and part of it all <laughs> so i know um, we've gone no no that's it yeah uh so i know we've touched on it a few times now about forest school but um for those who are maybe listening you are one of our eco forest eco ed forest school community and my question then is what initially drew you to forest school or the forest school approach from the outset so for me I when I first discovered forest schools when I was doing my degree mm. so it was one of the topics that I was uh, writing about uh, we had to uh, write about forest schools Steiner Montessori um, and having researched forest school I thought what a wonderful wonderful way of you know teaching children to be outdoors but I start, so I started looking at forest schools before we even actually adopted mm. and realized that there wasn't really any what I would call a forest school where your child could go and you could leave them for the day. Mm. Um, there were school had started to bring in school, some schools had started to bring in forest school ideas where they were having outdoor play areas, but that wasn't quite the same as schools in, um, is it Norway? Scandinavia, yeah. Yeah, um, where they are outside all day. That is where they are. And they might have a little hut or something attached to the forest. Um, so I did more research and I'd never really come across it. And then it was, we, we got the children, which led into looking at other ways of helping them. Um, and I started doing more research again. And there, there are a couple of groups out there, but again, maybe a bit more um led by academic some some of them are a little bit academic in that way um and then obviously i found you and then the happily ever after and happily ever after got the best of everything (laughs) i'd like to i'd sort of like to come back and draw on what you've just said there with with regards to how uh a lot of groups that you've come across with regards to forest school are more academic based and that links into a theory by an academic called dr mel mccree who uh, coined the term forest school full fat forest school light and forest school diet meaning that forest school in itself if it done correctly through child-led 
holistic development at its core in a forest or woodland environment and the children are in charge and they're learning how they do it and the leader then facilitates or helps learning that would then be classed as full fat forest school yes it's 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 almost like coca-cola where it is like the full body sugar rush <laughs> uh, and then you then think about things where certain aspects of that get removed and the more and more you take from that full fat you then drop down to your diet and then consequently your light whereby you end up with something that is far removed from what forest school is but ultimately you still called it because ultimately at, ultimately it's core forest school is a brand and it, it, it's a it's a tag um, because where it first sort of stemmed from as you quite rightly said was Scandinavia and Norway and Denmark and all those wonderful countries but it comes from uh, a way of life or an ethos known as Fritzvidliv, which is kind of uh, the best way to, I suppose, translate it is a love of life in the outdoors. Yeah. That kind of, it, it doesn't translate beautifully from, English, from Norwegian or Scandinavian to English, but that's the sort of kind of gist of it. Um, and yeah, I think the reason why it's become this way potentially is because it is being commodified or, or it's exponentially exploded a bit too fast for its groundings. Yes. And so there are, there are certain establishments that, that see it more as a brand as opposed to a way of learning and things like that. So that's quite interesting that you mentioned that, that you've seen it in your sort of, research, yeah. yeah, your research yeah. and in, in sort of your experience as well. So. Yeah. And saying that I have really noticed, you know, the difference on, Dave and Tilly's faces, the photographs that I'm taking and some that you've taken as well. He is so relaxed, like to the point where we've not, unless we've been on a beach or unless we've been in the water, because he really likes swimming, he is not that relaxed anywhere else. He just loves being free, I think the word is. And I think in, in a school setting that is just not right for him mm. I'm not saying that's not right for every child but he's still learning you know he yeah. at home I'm still teaching him maths I'm still teaching him English he's still reading he can read really really well for his age um but he's got that other side he's got that outlet that you know freedom that he he needs as a person and all done in a holistic way yes yeah Definitely. And it just it just proves it, doesn't it? Just proves it. But it's interesting you said that you know it, it may not work for every child, but ultimately, I, I I challenge anybody to defy, yes, defy it or attempt to defy it in some respects because ultimately, holistic approach or the a holistic approach is often the best way that children learn, yes, and yeah, potentially you've got to be doing something catastrophically wrong for it to not work. <laughs> So it, it's one of those, isn't it? Obviously, there comes a point where, where the adult could be the hindrance with their level of skill. But if you're the same as yourself, you think about what you want to achieve with it and you go out and you do your research and you really look into it and you take knowledge and you take knowledge and you take knowledge and you take knowledge. And then you will become perfectly skilled and well-skilled in, in delivering that for your children. And I think that's certainly a lesson to take away today, I think, from, from this conversation is that do your research <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good life lesson isn't it really <laughs> so if a parent is listening and they're on the fence about home educating or recently taken the plunge or even are thinking about forest school as a standalone what would be your advice to them as they start their journey 
Um, I would say do research. Um, join as many groups as you can. Um, there's lots of good advice out there. Um, and have confidence in yourself because I think I doubted myself, even though I had, I knew I had the skills, but I doubted myself whether I could do that. Mm. And um, yeah, that's all I'd say. Have confidence in yourself. And there's always somebody out there that will help you. Mm. And there's always somebody out there that you know, um, or somebody who knows somebody who can help you. So yeah, go for it. I'd I do say. wonder why we doubt ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Again, I think that's part of our... Our modern culture, um, I suppose. Culture, I think. Mm. Cultural, possibly. It's quite fascinating. I'm sure someone out there will be able to answer that. But yeah, we tend to, I tend to feel that, we, that a lot more people doubt themselves today than ever before. Yeah. Maybe that's a sign maybe. of our times. And maybe we, we can't have sort of an ego or, or we may be seen to be a little bit too uh, cocky for our own, sh- our own boots or whatever. But actually, sometimes, you know, you have to be confident, I think. There's a, there's a fine line, as someone once said, between confidence and cockiness. And I think if we err on the side of confidence, it can only really be a good thing. I don't know. And I'm actually really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying teaching the kids. This is it, isn't it? And it's in an environment where you enjoy you... being in a class of thirty. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I gosh. know that. I know that myself. Yeah. So. And I think yeah. it brings in your, you know, your once, your once career, and it brings that into it as well. And you know, because obviously there was a love in there, otherwise you wouldn't have trained and and gone towards well, yes. that career, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and I did that for quite a few years, and I, I did really enjoy that. But it was the politics that so beyond the main project we've spoken about yeah. what other ones are you working on at the moment uh we're working on uh, developing a blog um nice. which we have a website for um our van conversion we put on instagram but um, originally we were called van life with kids uk but we've now changed that to be happy family um, and we've combined the home education the family life and the van conversion all together so we do put um van stuff and home education stuff on the instagram page and then developing the blog we have three separate sections in that one about our family and family things maybe and stuff to do with adoption will go in that space and then in the uh, we'll have a home education space and then the van conversion space which mark will be working on so hoping to we've, we've started it and then um, I'm waiting for my editor to um, edit two pieces of work, <laughs> but he's a bit slow at the minute. Is yeah. <laughs> it? Like, yeah. So I, I write and I send it to Mark, and he edits, and then we upload. So this is it, yeah. And it's wonderful how they just mold together those two kind of. You seem yeah. to think opposing kind of ideas, but ultimately they they come together so nicely that as you are travelling around, you can still educate your children, and there's no. no there's no limits or there's no sort of boundaries to that. And it almost reminds me of sort of the, the culture that either, well, it was quite popular, you know, up until a couple of years ago, that kind of digital nomad kind of culture yes. where people traveled the world and could earn money from their laptop um, yes. just having an internet connection. And it's almost like that, isn't it? But at the same time, your children are still getting to see the world, which is the greatest education they could possibly have. Yes. And they're having a great time while doing it. It can only be a great thing. Just hopefully now Brexit gets out of the way and uh, the coronavirus yeah, yeah. Calm, calms a little. <laughs> See where we stand with that. This is it. So, yeah, but there's always something going on in this house. So Matt's always looking at something. <laughs> landing. We look at. He looks at landing France. He looks at. He's just built a trailer. Is yeah. 
always doing something here. This is it. Keeping busy, keeping busy. Keep my house. (laughs) (laughs) So how can people find you if they want to uh, follow your progress with either the van project or the homeschooling or things like that? So our um, Instagram page is at be happy family. B. B. Not F. B. Family. Family. Um, and the same, exactly the same for the website. Uh, if you put that into Google, you'll find that as well. And it's on Facebook too. So we have that too. Fantastic. Yes. There we are. Thank you so much for your time today. It Thank was you very uh, much been incredible sort of talking about the projects homeschooling a little bit about adoption and sort of your journey to forest school and and all that good stuff and how holistic development is is the way forward i think it's definitely (laughs) (laughs) there we are as i say thank you very much for joining me and i will uh, catch up with you again very soon yes thank you very much mark what a great conversation we had despite the interference today it's always a thought-provoking process doing these interviews and I mean, lots of things either come to light, are consolidated within our minds, or are approached for the first time, and and that is truly mind-extending, I feel. Now, there were a few themes that will form the basis of areas to explore in future episodes. The first was something that actually came up in last week's episode, and this is the notion of community, and the importance of community in our lives, whether that be a niche community such as van life or bushcraft, to the developmentally important aspects of community for children of peers and neighbourhood figures alongside their family unit. The second theme that will form a stimuli for exploring in future episodes is the brand or commodity of Forest School. Now, as Dr Mark Sackville Ford and colleagues wrote about recently in their book, Critical Issues in Forest School, the term Forest School has become somewhat of a marketing gimmick to sell places in schools, nurseries or even independent establishments. However, by doing this, the true essence and life-changing potential of the movement becomes lost and subdued so that it becomes a mere tick-box feature to bring in the crowds. In academia around Forest School, there is much debate about how Forest School is much removed from its origins from Scandinavia, as I mentioned in this episode, and it's become a commodity or a thing to sell. Now, my argument is, well, of course it has. Our culture is different. Our beliefs are different. What is failed to be understood, I feel, is that certain techniques and approaches that have value in other approaches to education have been modelled and adapted to fit into other contexts across the world for millennia. It's really not a new thing. And I suppose it has all come full circle once or perhaps twice before. It is just the commodity of Forest School and its ethos of child-led play, valuing the holistic development or development of the whole child and taking place in a woodland on a specific date and time throughout the year is the British adaption that fits our cultural context. Even then, it has been a huge culture shock to many, as this is a completely bipolar approach to our ingrained education system that, in my lifetime at least, will not be overthrown, despite its damaging approaches treating children as mere cogs for a machine, aka children for the work market and pound signs above each child's head. Our conditioning is to believe true learning is done through objectives, outcomes, scores, reports and tick boxes. So, is it any wonder why Forest School becomes a commodity? It has to, if its message, or rather the Forest School leader's message, wants to be exposed to the wider world. It's commoditization and the belief that Forest School does not align with our education system, as is, and so must adapt to fit the mould of teacher-led outdoor learning or die, is how Forest School has transitioned from full fat to light, 
and has become that marketing gimmick Sackville Ford refers to. There is nothing in this world, I would argue, that isn't commoditized. Even our children, as I've just shown. It is disheartening to a full-fat forest leader like myself. And it has never been Forest School's intention to overthrow anything, but simply complement and fill in the gaps missed by mainstream education to develop well-rounded individuals ready and set for life. But then, as I referred to in the conversation, it is a sign of Forest School's exponential explosion onto the education scene with a bottom-up growth model, meaning that the people delivering it found their own way to navigate through the way a Forest School should be done and explained, so was open for a long time to different people's interpretations. Quite opposite to a bottom-up growth model will be, or is rather, a top-down model where a body such as the newly formed FSA or Forest School Association would give guidance as to best practice. Some may comment at this point that this opens it up to conformatism, but I would strongly argue that Forest School is already being shoehorned into that direction without the FSA. But it is the work of organisations like the FSA that are maintaining the uniqueness of Forest School as a standalone support to mainstream education that sets children up for life success, creating a culture of practice that is more full fat than diet or light. Thank you so much for listening to Leading from the Forest. To find out more about EcoEd Forest School, head over to our website at ecoedforestschool.co.uk to start your journey with us today. Don't forget to review and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already, to spread the word of Forest School and to add immense value into other parents' lives. I've been your host, Mark. This has been Leading from the Forest. Have the most amazing rest of your day and I look forward to joining you again very soon.